0: you want to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter uh, 8 is where we're going to pick up this morning, and uh, I feel like I haven't been up here for a couple weeks with all the guest speakers and the missionaries uh, that we've accommodated and so forth. Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 9 through 24. And the title of the message this morning is Real Christianity. You know, there are times that God is at work and someone may genuinely put their faith in God amidst what God is doing. At other times, God is at work and someone may falsely or half-heartedly imply that they're following God. However, there are counterfeits. They may look, act, Hawk, the same. But truly, in their hearts, they're counterfeits. And I think this is kind of one of those passages that deals with that. You know, in Matthew chapter 7, beginning of verse 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, in your name did we not prophesy? And in your name, cast out demons. And in your name, do many miracles. Right? And then I will declare to them, I never what? Knew you. you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What if that were in today's culture? People who look like they're following Jesus. They act like maybe they're following Jesus. They may even talk like they follow Jesus. But yet in their hearts, they're not. It's an amazing thing that you and I can't always see the difference. As man looks on the outward appearance, but God knows the heart, right? There are many people who make professions of faith that really are not real. Many people who claim to know Jesus and we know it's really not true. And sometimes we have, unfortunately, people who we, we look the look and we walk the walk and we talk to talk when we're around other people who are. That's unfortunate, but that happens. And unfortunately, when that happens, it leads other people astray. And it may give people a false idea that I can live like the world, talk like the world, act like the world six days a week, but come into church on Sunday and be like this crowd too. What's that really say about the person's heart who does that? James chapter 2 verse 26 gives us an indication. It says, for just as the body without the spirit is dead... So also faith without works is dead. So it really starts giving us a distinction here that I can say, I can act, I can talk, but if my life doesn't back it up, it's really not there, right? I mean, that's not my word; it's God's word. So He says, faith without works is dead. So if I claim to know Jesus, what is the service of my life or the activity of my life that gives diligence or gives credence to what I say? Say with my mouth is true. So. Let's hypothetically say, well, maybe this person comes to the church every single time the doors are open, right? They're here. Because they love to be around God's people. They love to sing the songs. They love to rejoice with other people when they're, you know, something good is happening in their life and they rejoice. But really, the rest of the time, their life is not being backed up by what they are doing. You see, God's word makes it very clear in Titus chapter three, verse five. Not by works of righteousness, which I have done, right? I cannot do enough good to earn my salvation. Even if I could do all the good known to man, I can't earn it, right? And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, for by grace I am saved through faith and not of yourselves, right? It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So I can't boast of the fact that maybe I'm a good person or I help the poor and needy or I do this or that and I'm I'm a generally decent person. I'm better than so many other people. But even if all my goodnesses were added up, God's word makes it very clear. I cannot earn my way to salvation and I cannot earn my way to heaven. Otherwise God died in vain and I didn't need his son Jesus. So that's very clear as well. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. (coughs) And we are going to get to Acts 8 in just a moment. But in Matthew chapter 13, let me just give you one more passage to kind of set the scene for what we're going to talk about here for just a little bit. In Matthew chapter 13, beginning of verse 24, it says this. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came in and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No. No. For a while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest, and in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. When you think about this, so what's the idea here? There is one group of wheat and tares, but they're growing together, and really, for the most part, you can't tell them apart a lot, but they're very similar. They look similar. Does that not happen even in the body of Christ? You have those who are genuinely following Jesus. They have put their faith and trust in God. Their life backs up what they say is in their heart. And they're living for Jesus and for Jesus only. And then there are others who look just like them, talk just like them, act like them. But when they go away, they live as the world would have them to live. So he goes on a little bit further and he says... Verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world. And as far as the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the terrors are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of the kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the Son in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So what's he saying here? It doesn't matter if you look like, talk like, or even act like true followers at times in the end what's the, what's the test the test of faith true faith if you truly know Jesus you're going to spend eternity with him if you don't just as the tares were gathered up and burned so will those who have never put their faith and trust in Jesus spend eternity in the lake of fire say, man that's harsh yeah it is not my words god's word and if you believe the bible to be true then you ought to perk your ears up and say wow i don't really want that Back to Acts chapter 8. And you see, this is what we have to guard against even in the body of Christ to make sure that we truly know Jesus. That we are truly not just acting the part or talking the part or even, uh, you know, know, faking it in front of others. Because, you know, I can fake anything in front of anybody for a while. Right? I mean, any of us can. I mean, you can hide something from your wife for a little while. You can hide something from your kids for a little while. You can hide something from your employer, your friends, your relatives for a little while. But eventually the truth comes out. And so it does with the child of God because God's word says one day you will stand before God and give an account. But he gave us one test. Faith without works is dead. What is the action or activity of my life that gives freedom to the fact that I know Jesus? And it does not just lip service. Look with me if you would in Acts chapter 8. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time here. I'm going to begin reading uh, verse 9. And I'll read down to verse 24, and then we'll go a little bit further. In Acts chapter 8, verse 9, it says, Now there was a man named Simon, who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astounding the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time... Astounded them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip, proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip, and as he observed the signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly astounded. And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit had been bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you. Because you supposed you could obtain the gift of God with money. Wow. You have no part or portion in this matter. For your heart is not right before God. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray earnestly to the Lord that if possible the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of unrighteousness. But Simon answered and said pray earnestly to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you have said may come upon thee. Wow, that's an astounding story. You say, well, what does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with Harvest Bible Fellowship? What does that have to do with any church in America? Well, I think there's a lot here that I think if we're honest with ourselves that we can look at and say, wow, we can really learn from that. And I want you to notice in our text in verses 9 and 10, Simon had a false view of himself. Uh, he claimed to be great. Now, I don't know about you, but I mean, can you imagine every time somebody, a sports team in particular, wins a, a tournament or a really difficult game, and all of a sudden the fingers go up to say what? We're number one. Right. Because you're just so awesome, right? I mean, think about it. I always, be, I, I don't know why I think this, maybe I'm just, the, you know, the, the pessimist in the crowd, but every time I think of that finger going up, we're number one, I'm thinking what? You're like one little town in like one little part of the state. What about the other 50 states? They're number one too, Like, but are you better than them? You know, we're a lot of small fish, or big fish in little ponds, right? We're not as good as we think we are. And that's what he's saying here. He says, I, look at, look at this, who formerly was practicing magic in the city of the people of Samaria, claiming to be somebody great. Simon was really like, wow, look at me. Yeah, that's right, look at me, I'm good. I'm great, look at me. I can do magic, I can astound you, I can impress you. Look, just look at me. I'm awesome. Just just ask me, I'll tell you. Think about that just for a moment, the pride. And this is one of the major problems with mankind today, is that mankind, generally speaking, thinks that they're pretty good. And just imagine with me for a moment what God's Word says in response to that. God's Word says very clearly, Titus 3, 5, Not by works of righteousness, which I've done. Why? That's not going (laughs) to be good enough. Not, Ephesians 29, for my grace says you made the not, not of yourselves, right? That's not good enough. What's he really saying? All your righteousnesses are as what? Filthy rags. Rag. When you add up the entire sum of your goodness, of all that you think is great, God says it's nothing. And if you're so great, my son didn't need to die on a cross and shed his blood for your sin. And yet Simon goes around telling everybody, I'm great. Imagine that. Man sees the good he does and begins to actually think that he is good. I mean, think about that. How many people in our society, in our culture, think that they're good people? Well, I don't need church. I don't need God. I don't need the Bible. I'm a good person. I've never killed anyone. I haven't molested anybody. I I don't steal from people. I'm generally a nice person, and I and I say nice things about people, and I, I try to do good that I, you know, whatever I can to as many people as I can. I'm a good person. Is that not what our culture thinks? That's Simon. I'm a good person. In fact, I'm not just good, I'm great. Simon allowed his pride to grow as people applauded him. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3 says this. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he what? Deceives himself. And that's the problem with many people. They deceive themselves into thinking that there's something that they're not and that they don't really don't realize just how wicked they are. God's word says, all my righteousness is filthy race. He says, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can even know it? Even if Paul says, I am the cheapest of sinners, Paul said, I look at my life and I say, man, the good that I want to do, I seem to fail at it. And to think, lie like you, I'm better than you. I'm a pretty good person. You have to understand, I'm, I'm a good guy in my nature. I'm good. And he told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. That's the person that I ought to take notice and be careful. And viewed others with contempt. So he gives an example here. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. I don't know about you, but it seemed like neither one of those are guys that I would trust. (laughs) Not not in this day and age. So you got one guy who's super religious, he's a holier-than-thou, he knows all the rules, regulations, and the law, and another one who rips people off, right? So you got the Pharisee stood and was praying these things. Where? To himself. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. I mean, can you imagine this? This guy's going, and he's, he's looking around, he's looking at everyone around him, and he's just, before his holy God, God, I thank you, I'm not like these other people. I mean, God, you know me, I'm better than them. And he goes on to give the example. He says, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector by me, Lord, Standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. He says in verse 12, I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But this tax collector, this guy over here, standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He goes, God, that that can't be right. I mean, certainly this guy is not as spiritual as he's claiming to be. Come on. I'm better than him. Does that happen in churches? It does. And unfortunately, it does nothing to those who are searching other than turn them away. But it's not what he was doing. He said, Oh, I fast twice a week, I pay tithes of all that I get. But this man, verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than another. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, the opposite of pride is humility. Simon had a healthy dose of pride in his life. In James chapter 4, verse 6 through 10 it says, But he gives greater grace. Therefore, says God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Be subject, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, and mourn, and cry. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. What is the challenge here? You need to humble yourself. You need to check yourself the old saying goes, you need to check yourself. Why? Because sometimes we can have an unhealthy view of who we are. Now let me just say this. I am grateful for God's mercy, for his grace, for his long suffering, for his patience, for his forgiveness. Those are all things that I say every day, God, thank you. I'm thankful that you're patient with me. You don't judge me immediately as if I have a wrong thought or say something stupid or all these things that we are, you know, take a nanosecond to sin with thankful that God is patient with me. So what James reminds us here in James chapter 4, he actually be miserable and mourn and cry. When's the last time we've wept over our sinfulness? Let's just be honest about that. Have we ever wept over our sinfulness? Have we ever said, God, I'm so sorry. I, I told you I wouldn't do this anymore and I just catch myself doing it again. God, please, I need your Holy Spirit to help me because in and of myself, my flesh, I'm too weak, I can't do it. God, I need you, and God, I don't want to sin, and I don't want this to be my characteristic, and I don't want this to be part of my life. And and we plead out to God and say, God, I cannot do this without you. When's the last time we've done any of that? Well, that's that's what holy people do. No, that's what anybody who has a out to desire to do. Other than think that we're just relatively good people. And thank God, nothing wrong with being unkind. We should be kind people. We should be in our heart good people. By definition, we should help those that need help. We should say kind words to those who need encouragement. We should do what we can to help those around us that need help. Nothing wrong with that. We should do that. But understand, that's not what's going to gain you entrance into heaven. Not even one inch closer. The reality is, he says, we need to take a reality check of our own lives. He says, cleanse your hands and center them. Purify your hearts. Double-minded. What's he saying, double-minded? <laughs> the idea of being double-minded is that you can't have your mind on two different things at once. You can't have it on the things of the world and the things of God simultaneously and, and live in victory be miserable and mourn and cry and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Why? Because when we realize how sinful we are, it ought to wake us up to the reality that God is even more gracious than we believe. He says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, then what? He'll exalt you. That's awesome. That God is willing to exalt us when we what? Humble ourselves. pretty neat, huh? Look at verses 12-17 through 17 in our text, in Acts 8. 12-17 through 17 literally gives us three different people or people groups for us to learn from. And I think if we're, if, we, if we're honest with ourselves, we see a little bit of these groups in us. First one is the first person is Philip. He proclaimed the good news about the kingdom. I mean, think about this. Look at verse 12. But when they believed Philip proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, think about that. Philip wasn't a bad man in the sense of his human condition. I mean, he was proclaiming the good news. Oh, wait a minute. I thought you said that he was a a fake. Yeah, I did. Can both be true? Yep. I'll show you in a minute. But Philip proclaimed the good news about the kingdom. Let me ask this question. How many people on TV that are televangelists and super famous talk to to you about going to heaven you got to wonder whether or not they're really saved. Let's, let's just be honest. I can think of a few names that I'm not a, really a name grabber, but they're out there. Oh, just say the prayer and you're going to heaven. Nothing more. Just, just say it and you, boom, you're in. Don't click go, or don't pass go, oh, don't click $200. Jesus, no, no, not necessary. You're in. Just, just do this. No. He proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ. Well, how do I know that? Well, when they believed Philip proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized. And the third thing, he baptized both men and women. Here's a guy who made a profession of faith who was even telling other people about Jesus and baptizing them. We'll come back to Philip in just a minute. Then there's Simon. Simon heard the gospel as Philip was preaching. I'm sorry, Philip... Philip was there. Simon heard the gospel as Philip was preaching. Simon saw the miracles that God did through Philip. Simon gave profession as he believed. Simon was even baptized. Simon was astounded by what he observed. I mean, he was watching everything that was taking place. Everything. Then the third group was the apostles. The apostles heard what was taking place in Samaria. We see that down here in... uh, um, Verse thirteen it says even Simon's up, believed, was baptized. Continued Philip, He was astounded when the apostles in verse fourteen in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent Peter and John. So I mean, there is the, the word had gotten out. There's work going on in Samaria, and so they send Peter and John there to do what? To pray over Samaria. What were they praying for? And I have to be honest with you. I'm going to give you a, a little bit of. Todd um, wonder. Look what it says here. Verse 14. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John who came, came down and prayed with them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. And they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I don't fully understand that completely. But I know this there was a realization that we cannot do this. And God cannot continue to go forward here without the help of the Holy Spirit doing what He only can do. He says, well, they were baptized. Yes, they were. And what does it say here? They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. But they wanted the Holy Spirit to come upon them. Folks, we as a church can go out And do whatever it is that our abilities and skills and talents allow us to do. Perhaps maybe what your remembrance of verses will allow you to do. Perhaps maybe what your personality will allow you to do. And it will only accomplish what you are able to do. But if you want it to accomplish what God wants, you need the Holy Spirit to do it. That's the difference. That's what I want. Well, let's come back to Simon for a minute. He observed everything that Philip was doing. He proclaimed the good news about the kingdom. He proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ. He baptized. Simon watched all of it. And what was his response? He was astounded by what he saw. In fact, we, we can't forget him. Look at verse 18. It says, Now when Simon saw the spirit had been bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. What was Simon what was Simon really wanting? He wanted the power that the Holy Spirit was giving through the laying on of hands to also be able to come from him. I mean, remember, this is the guy who did magic, right? I mean, he was one of these guys who was a, I don't know, sorcerer maybe? He was one of these guys that would astound people with his skills of magic. And that's what it says back there in verse 9. So Simon, you can't forget him. He can't seem to forget what he's observed. He wants the power that Peter and John seem to have. And notice what he's willing to do for this power. Two things. He offers them money for the ability to lay lay hands on people and give them the Holy Spirit. You can't buy it. But he was willing to try. I mean, if I could just, I'll give you money. If If you give me this power, I'll give you money. He wanted more authority. How do I know that? Well, look at verse 19 saying, give this authority to me as well. He recognized that John and Peter had authority from on high. The Holy Spirit was working through them. Samaria was being turned upside down for a moment. And Simon wants this power, this ability. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away, and behold, new things have come. There is a difference that should come into the person who truly knows Jesus. Well, it was no longer about Peter, about Simon, but Simon wanted to keep it all about himself and what he could do, and be claiming to be great. Look at Luke chapter six, verse forty-five: "The good man, out of the good treasures of his heart." bring forth what is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasures bring forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from the abundance of his heart. Simon was really proclaiming what was in his heart. But Peter teaches Simon a valuable lesson and calls out his sinful heart. Look at verse 20. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you. Ooh, that's quite a statement. What's he really saying to Simon? Your wealth is going to die with you. You're not going to give your wealth to get anything. It's going to die with you. May your silver perish with you. And then he goes on as if that was not enough. He says, because you suppose you could obtain the gift gift of God with money, you have no part or portion in this matter. For your heart is not right before God." Call them out, man. You do that in today's world, you get cursed, slammed, ridiculed. When someone calls out someone else's sinfulness, well, that's just that's just that's the last straw. When John called it out. He said, "This is what this is what I'm seeing." Now think about this. There's two sides of this coin. You're going to call out someone else's sin. You better take care of your own first, right? Isn't that what God's Word says? Take the beam out of your own eye. However, let me give you another side of that. You better deal with your own sin and deal with your own issues first. But doesn't God's Word say, you that are spiritual, help those that aren't? Aren't you, as a loving brother in Christ, a loving sister in Christ, supposed to help those who are struggling in sin to overcome it? Yes or no? Lord God, if we don't do that, how will we have a strong church? That challenges the person who is to open their mouth to be right with God. And to truly, genuinely care for the spiritual state of others. But we don't do it because we don't want to be that holy or thou. We don't want to be ridiculed We don't want to be made fun of because we actually dare call someone out. Folks, that's biblical. We don't like it because that's one of those parts of the Bible we just kind of, you know, I'll take a little bit of this, a little bit of this, but not so much of that. That's that spiritual smorgasbord that we don't want to be a part of. We want this part, but not that part. John doesn't miss words. He says, your heart is not right before God. That should have been a wake-up call. That should have been a wake-up call. What's going on here? He says, Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray earnestly to the Lord, that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. He challenged him to repent and to deal with his heart condition before God. And he said, if you'll go to God, maybe God will have mercy on you. Verse 23 says, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of unrighteousness. He said, the unrighteousness in your life has taken you captive. Now, suppose for a minute you're Simon and someone else is John and they've just confronted your sin. What would be your response? I know y'all are just so spiritual, and Lord forgive you right. Or would you say, I'm not as spiritual as y'all. I start defending myself. Hey, I'm a good person. I've done some really nice things for people. I, I, I treat people kindly. I mean, what's wrong with wanting a little bit of power and authority? Come on. It's a good thing, right? How would you respond? I can only imagine, but knowing the reputation of Peter and John who were wanting the Holy Spirit to work in Samaria, and now these men calling out my sinful, wicked heart, I would imagine for a moment that I'd have to think twice about taking another step forward before dealing with my own sinfulness. How do you think he responded? Some of you might be wondering, well, did Simon ever truly believe? I don't think he did. I don't think he did. In John chapter 2, verse 23... <coughs> It says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, here's the key phrase, many believed in his name, many believed in his name when they saw his signs, which he was doing, but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he had no need that anyone bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in them. They believed. But when did we start this message off with. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. It says the devils even believe and tremble. Simon may have believed and he was astounded by the miracles that the apostles were doing. And yet God's word says his heart was full of wickedness. He was in the gall of bitterness and the bond of unrighteousness. Jesus said, even at the Passover, there are those who believe because of the miracles in the moment. in the here and the now, they're like, wow, that is a really cool miracle. I mean, how did you do that? It was a show. But their heart was never changed. And in James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. See, Simon, his faith was not in the Word of God, it was rather in the miracles he saw. And the miracles, well, fascinating as they are, they don't save anyone. All they do, and you can go back to the book of Exodus when God gave Moses the ability to do miracles, what was it? It was a sign to point to the power of God. That's all they were. To show that God had extreme power over everything and over everyone. Miracles don't save anybody. In fact, Simon says, hey, I've done magic. Look at me. I'm great. Now, if I could just get that power to lay on hands and get... That would just make me complete. Got him nowhere because the sinfulness of his heart was evident to John. In closing, Johnny Hunt made three comments here. What was missing in Simon's life? I think was true repentance. You see, repentance is what starts the process in the relationship with Jesus. Repentance says, I'm going this direction. I'm confronted with my sinfulness and I can't continue to go that direction. I need to turn my back on that sinfulness and start walking with Jesus. It's not just saying, well, God will forgive me. Yes, God does forgive of sin, Right? Even when we say, God, I'm sorry, please don't help me do it again, and then three nanoseconds later you sin. He still forgives. What's the difference of the heart? In Romans, he says, May you never use God's grace in vain. Don't ever take the grace of God for granted. Should I continue in sin because grace abounds? He said, God forbid. Some of you translators say, May it never be so. We don't abuse the grace of God just because he's going to offer it to us. Unless there's true repentance, a relationship with Jesus Christ cannot happen. And Johnny Hunt says this. He said, Simon had a profession without possession. He had a profession just like the people in the Passover. They saw the miracles and believed for a moment. He had profession without possession. Number two, Simon had conversion without repentance which equals nothing. And number three, Simon had religion without relationship. See, there's where it's at. Relationship with Jesus Christ. Wow, there's so much here. Yeah, there is. So much here. And I think so often in churches across America, there are those, yeah, they like going to church. They enjoy the music. They like hearing a message from them from the Bible. It's pretty cool to hear some stories of what God's doing on the mission field. How he saves the basketball team in the inner city school of Indianapolis. That's pretty cool. I want to be a part of that. But unless there is true repentance that says, I'm a sinner. And I have to understand that Christ died for my sin and repent of that and ask for forgiveness and put my faith and trust in Jesus. All the knowledge in the world will not save you. I'm telling you, you could memorize this whole book from cover to cover. And guess what? There are people who've done it. But the reality is this. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, nothing else matters. You can know about Jesus. And I would venture to say that if I were to quiz with you on some general questions about who Jesus is, most of you could answer those questions. Why? Because you're here every week. I could give you a quiz, true or false, and you could answer all of them. But the question is, not do you know about Jesus, the question is, do you know Jesus personally? Do you have a relationship with him? Not do you know about God, do you know God? Facts are different than being a part of this family. So as we close, let me ask you a question. Which one are you? Philip, who truly followed, put his faith in God, proclaimed the name of Jesus? Simon, who could do a lot, wanted some things, but truly never repented. Or the apostles who said, I need the Holy Spirit. And we're praying that the Holy Spirit would come down. Because anything done apart from the Holy Spirit is I think we can find ourselves in one of these areas. Maybe in a couple areas. But hopefully we're not in Simon's shoes. I hope you truly know him. And as I say every Sunday, as we close in prayer, you have an opportunity to respond to what you've heard. I say it every week. You've had an opportunity to be a part of the worship and the music, right? We sang songs to God. We sing songs about Jesus. And we worship him. That's part of our worship we worship in the giving of our tithes and offerings and, you know needed funds to run the project so that, that we that god at least be a part of but now you have an opportunity to worship through the word as well and to make it part of what god wants you to be and so in just a moment we're going to close a prayer but as i say every week the most important decision that any one of you can make truly know Jesus. And let me clarify something. When I say that, I'm not asking you to join Harvest, become a member of our church. I'm not asking you to give to the needs of the projects that we're involved with. In fact, if you never come to this church again, and I hope that's not the case, but if you never come again, I hope you at least leave knowing that you know Jesus. And that you have a relationship I'm not asking you to join. I'm not asking you to be anybody that's not perfect and say that I'm never going to sin again as long as I live. And you'd be a liar like me. Because I know my flesh and I'm going to do wrong again. Though I don't want to, though I'm going to try not to, I know my own wickedness is that I fail sometimes. So I'm not inviting you to be perfect. I'm simply asking, do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with him? Are you willing to commit your life to him? big commitment. I won't lie to you. Faith is childlike. Faith is simplistic. But it's just the beginning of a process of a relationship to know Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and pray with me. Lord Jesus, as we come before you, Lord, we thank you for the word of God. And we thank you for the very fact that it's true. And it never changes truth of your word, according to your word, will last forever and eternity. The principles found within are still true today as they were a hundred years ago. Nothing changed. My opinions may change, my convictions may change, my position on things may change, but your word never changes. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that we would not be like Simon, astounded by what we see, but never really I pray your Father, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just ask for a moment that you and your heart pray to God. But I want to ask all of you that are here this morning, do you know Jesus? Do you truly know Jesus? Not just about Jesus. Do you have a relationship? Have you come, Can you look back at a time in your life where you put your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, repented of your sins, and said, God, I want to follow you? Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, if I'm honest with myself, if, I, if I'm truly honest, I don't know that I have that confidence. I don't know that if I were to die today, I don't know that I would spend eternity in heaven. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about that. I'm interested in that, but I'm just not sure. I just challenge those of you that may be in that category, I'll never embarrass you, I'll never call you out but if you just look at me so I can pray for you I want you to have that peace, that confidence would you simply just look at me so I can pray for you, silently you're not sure concerned, can I just invite you to pray this simple prayer in your heart? This simple prayer of faith, my prayer will not save you, it cannot save you. But if you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus, and say, Pastor, I want to pray I just don't know how. Just a simple prayer goes like this, you can pray it in your heart. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the my sin and cleanse my heart. In Jesus, I put my faith in Lord Jesus, I thank you for the honesty of these, Lord, who were concerned about their salvation. And these couple, Lord, who acknowledge that they prayed that prayer. I pray, God, that you God, that you just help them to grow in their faith, grow in their knowledge of you, grow closer in their relationship with You, Father. And Lord, for the rest of us, Lord, who maybe already made that decision, Lord, would you help us to grow as well? Lord, we don't want to just walk the walk and talk the part. We want to live it out day by day to truly be people who love you and live that out daily in our lives. Lord, would you help us to do that? Lord, may we not be hypocritical. May we not be, Lord, just say one thing and do another, deceiving ourselves. So God, we need your help. And Lord, we pray as John and Peter were sent sent to Samaria to pray for the Holy Spirit to come down upon them. God, we pray for that for our church. Lord, we don't want to operate in the flesh. We don't want to operate in our own wisdom and ability. We want to operate with the Holy Spirit working amongst us. And in your power, Lord. So Lord, we ask for this precious name of Jesus, for he alone is worthy.